wrestling and everything coast to coast with your host, Buddy Satello Esquire, Mike Leno, and Evan Ginsberg. So what do we have to talk about this week? There's a lot, actually, to talk about this week. I think I think we should discuss the uh, celebrity apocalypse uh, that's just begun, 2022. And I don't mean to say it you know, lightly, because some of our heroes the past nine days have passed one after another, and I'll do a very brief list. Um, and we haven't Jane, gotten over Betty White and... and um, that was last uh, year. We yeah, I know, exactly. That's this. last year. Yeah. That's last well, year's thought, What a way, what a sucking way to say, suck you to 2021, losing the great Betty White. And the thing that's irritating me, you guys may have noticed, our listeners, everybody might have noticed, and because we, we don't have a guest tonight, I'm wearing a guest hat, uh, is all of the magazines at the checkout newsstand that had, you know, Betty White, Secrets to Live to Be 100, Betty White, Turning yeah. 100 in Love. They all did this in advance. So it's embarrassing. It makes them look stupid. Um, and it, it is also telling because Betty White was so great. I actually met her a number of times, but we'll talk about that later. I don't want to interrupt Evan because Evan got the short stick last week. I want Evan to talk tonight. <laughs> well... For you R&B and jazz fans, M. Tume died, James M. Tume. Uh, he played with Miles Davis, and he also had his own hit, Juicy Fruit. And he also uh, wrote, he wrote ne Never Knew Love Like This Before for Stephanie Mills. And he also wrote for Roberta Flack and uh, Donny Hathaway, um, Back Together Again, The Closer I Get to You. Um, yeah, Grammy Award winner. Um, but he didn't get much notice because Sidney Poitier died, Peter Bogdanovich, Bob Saget today, um, also of note, also getting very little attention because of the bigger names that have passed, Dwayne Hickman, who was Dobie Gillis, Michael Lang, the Woodstock promoter, he's oh, yeah. gone as well. Um, Matilda the Hun from Glow, we'll talk more about her later since we always focus on wrestling. And oh. Calvin Simon, Parliament Funkadelic singer. So um, these great, great people. And uh, Poitier, I just want to say very quickly about Poitier, why I respect him so much. There's plenty of great actors in the world, but he was a civil rights activist. He was a humanitarian he wasn't a shill. He didn't do any movie just for a paycheck like a Samuel Jackson or, or an Eddie Murphy. You know, he didn't show for credit cards and bank commercials. You know, the guy was class all the way. And uh, my comedian friends get angry when I'm critical of Eddie Murphy. But the guy's done some of the worst films ever made. Pluto Nash. Come on, turn down a paycheck. You're worth a couple of hundred million. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say on CBS Sunday Morning today, they reran an interview that I think it was Rita Braver had done with them a couple of years ago. And he said he specifically chose roles that uplifted black people, that didn't show black people subservient, et cetera. So he turned down a ton of roles, other, you know, that would have paid money. He didn't want that. And then um, whatever the movie was in the heat of the night with, um, oh, God, that fantastic. Rod Steiger. Yeah, Rod Steiger. 
where he gets slapped by the guy when he starts interrogating him in front of Rod Steiger, who played like the sheriff, and, and uh, Sidney Portier's character is aiding the sheriff, from what I recall. And the guy slaps him. Well, he wrote and made sure before that scene was ever filmed, it was in his contract that he had to slap him back, that he was not going to take a slap from an old Southern racist white guy. And um, yeah, same here, so much respect. He was my favorite actor in the 60s, so great in uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. What a fantastic movie that was, it really, but everything. And let, me, let me just say something for the young viewers. Um, people don't really grasp that in 1967, when Guess Who Came to, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner came out, you know, how shocking this was, you know, interracial relationship. Back then it was 1% of the population Today, it's much, much higher. And, um, you know, when I was a kid and an interracial couple or a gay couple walked down the street holding hands, the block would stop and everybody would stare. People do not realize the advances we've made over the past half century. And guys like Portier were, were part of this by being a, a symbol, fighting for civil rights, et cetera, so on. And, um, you know, Portier was interesting. He died with 20 to 25 million, reportedly, his net worth. And, you know, it's a lot of money to, the re to regular folk. But a Samuel Jackson will get that for one movie today. You know, a Denzel will get that for one movie, a Matt Damon, et cetera, so on. So, like Mike said, he turned down a lot of work. He turned down a lot of paychecks. And uh, he wasn't a shill. He wasn't a shill. He had so much class and dignity, as you mentioned. Um, well, he was, you know, the ultimate. I, I would put Lena Horne up there, too, as a, a African-American female. Just so much class, everything they did. Uh, and he was the first African-American actor, to, male actor, to win an Academy Award. And there, it would take way over 20 years before... Uh, Denzel won and then had him. It was the same night they gave an honorary award for his, you know, volunteerism and stuff to Sidney Portier. So he was there and stood up when uh, uh, the, the actor I just mentioned, boy, I'm getting old. Uh, Denzel Washington saluted him and said, I've always been chasing you. I'll continue chasing you. You know, just talking about him at length in his own acceptance speech, you know, winning. Denzel, Denzel is the closest thing we have today to a Portier, yep. um, you know, choosing his roles, not doing schlock, not doing, you know, uh, cheesy commercials for a quick buck. Um, Denzel's all class. He's not a kid anymore. He's pushing 70. Is he really? Oh, yeah. He's in his late 60s. He just looks great. But, yeah, he looks. But the the... Uh, the Bob Saget thing really hit me and, and Russ and I, and, you know, Ev, you and I interviewed him, such a nice guy. So packed with talent. Down to earth. The final yeah. is a success. Yeah. I, I think that he was able, he was, uh, yeah, self, he, he understood that he was lucky to be where he was in the comedic world and to made what he could out of it. He didn't try to be more than what he was. 
I think that's why people appreciated his comedy over time. It was they filmed a lot of the exterior shots for Full House as well as the house itself, which was like in the Fillmore District, one of those Victorian, old classic Victorian homes our San Francisco is so world famous for. And Bob Saget loved that house. And when the, I guess the producer of the show finally bought it, uh, he went up there and um, you know, filmed some stuff just in the last three years there. And uh, the documentary I I'm, I'm really think was super terrific. The Super Bob Einstein documentary, brand new on HBO, that's loaded with talent from Rob Reiner to Steve Martin, his first writing partner. But Bob Einstein is Albert Brooks's brother, Albert Brooks. And he only had one scene together in Modern Romance, Albert Brooks picture. And Bob Einstein, a.k.a. Super Dave Osborne, was not getting his role as a Nike shoe salesman in a shopping mall to Albert Brooks, who'd just broken up with his wife or his wife left him. And they showed it in this thing. I can't, this is like the funniest comedic documentary I've ever, ever seen. It's called Super Bob Einstein. And everybody's in there. He was at Marty Funkhauser and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, man. And his interactions with David Letterman yep. were just, just off the charts funny. That was a great show because it started, Ev, you'll remember, HBO's very first series was Bizarre with John Biner, that great comic. And Bob Einstein was head writer and had a recurring role with his newer acting partner because he started with Steve Martin. They were the, the head writers, but a, a writing tag team on the Smothers Brothers 60s show with all the controversy in Vietnam War stuff we recall. And uh, I, this is like 10, if Meltzer gives matches 10 stars out of five, this is a 10 star out of five, uh, like many projects Evan's been involved with and uh, the wrestler, the Mickey Rourke movie, 10 out of five on this documentary. And I mentioning that I just want to quickly friend of the show, Dave Brzezinski and the Sheik's Detroit Kobo arena announcer, Terry Sullivan put out a new series of documentaries of big time memories. But one of them, the longest one, they go, they went and filmed at the Sheik and Joyce Farhut's mansion, their home and all of this stuff in his grave site. It's, also, 10 out of 5 stars. Just want to plug big-time memories. But Ev, go go on, because Portier, and then John Madden, who was the legend of legends. That was last year, wasn't it? But it was recent. Yeah, we haven't talked about it. You know, I'm joking. Betty, I'm joking. Right. It was last year. But John Madden, there's no bigger sports legend than that colorful character who loved wrestling. He loved and went to a couple of Cow Palace Roy Shire wrestling shows. Really? Wow. TV, he talked about it. Hmm. You know, he. It's sad that they didn't bring him in, uh, like they did with uh, Billy Martin and Steinbrenner to, you know. Do he was more of an AWA guy than he was a WWF guy, though. You know, at the time, he was more of a fan of the AWA show. He was. He was a Roy Shire guy, and he might have watched the other stuff, you know. And I had to feed Meltzer that, as I did on someone else's obit we won't mention on the show, but. Um, Matilda the Hun, so when Evan said our Ring of Honor guest is moving it to a different date, he was going to be on tonight, I called up uh, Hollywood, Jeannie Bassan, and uh, these are the 80s glow legends, and Cheryl Russo, who was lightning 
uh, in Glow and Lilmo and the LPWA, where she teamed with Reggie Bennett. Incredible. Yeah, Jeannie's been on the show before. Yeah, well, right. And, I, and Evan and I had him on the show together a million times on Legends, and Evan involved them in 300, uh, what was it? Is it 350 days or 360 days? 350 days, days yeah. yeah. It's getting longer, though. But, get bonus but, 10 days. Yeah, yeah, with with COVID, it feels like uh, 395 days these years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's terrible. They're all back to quarantining at home. But Matilda the Hun was their dear friend, and every time they'd come to CAC or other events, Matilda the Hun was in that first year, at least the first, perhaps the second year of Glow. <laughs> Ev, what was her real name? What kind of bio do you have on uh, a very sweet lady? She was a giant, huge person, but she was wheelchair bound uh, the annual times or twice annual times I would see her. Such a sweet person. And she was a comedy actress where she got into. Yeah, what I found interesting was she wrestled, she sang, she acted, you know, and a huge personality, uh, you know, um, and, and a beloved figure. Everybody had really great things to say about her. And wrestling, if you're honest, you know, we, when somebody passes, half the people go, I love the guy, half the people go, he was a dirtbag, you know, and that, that wasn't the case with uh, Matilda. Every, everybody seemed uh, legitimately saddened, saddened by her passing and, uh, you know, not, not quote unquote old. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, yeah, Sidney Poitier was 94, but Saget was 65. That, that's young by today's standards. It's my age. Exactly. If you dropped that on the show, we'd be traumatized <laughs> if you dropped that mid-show. 65 is young by today's standards. So, so he didn't have, he was traveling around, but he... Died in a hotel like all the wrestlers. Yeah. He had just done a two-hour set that's the right. night before. You think it might have been a little too taxing because he hadn't been told? Nah, you know, when you're on a stage, you're, you're alive. It's like a teacher. I, I could stand in front of a classroom for six hours, you know. You, you get the adrenaline. But, uh, hey, look, the other side of it is he went out, he went out doing what he loved. You know, the, Let me tell you, that's a line in the Bob Einstein, Albert Brooks's brother documentary, Super Bob Einstein, not Super Dave Osborne, which was his show from the 1980-81 on and all that other stuff. But uh, Bob Einstein, there were three of them, Bob, uh, Albert Brooks, one of the funniest people on the planet, and Bob Einstein and their third brother. Anyway, they were all young kids, and Bob Einstein, Super Dave Osborne, was like 11, 12 when his dad dies, and all of these Huge, the biggest comedians in the world were at the, the funeral. And he also, his dad, their dad wrote, the guy that died when they were kids, wrote for uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, I Love Lucy. It was that huge, had his own show, radio, TV, everything. But so Milton Berle does shtick and does his comedic routine. And, and then he says, uh, uh, so I'm not criticizing what you said, Ev, because I've used that phrase a ton of times. At least he died doing what he loved. But the kid who's like 11, Bob Einstein, and Milton Berle says that to him, well, at least he did what he loved, you know, because their dad died after doing, uh, you know, a lengthy comedy TV show taping. And the kid goes, fuck, F you. Uh, you know, what do you love? Uh, what's the thing that you love doing? And Milton Berle said, I don't know, playing some kind of instrument. And he goes, well, I hope you die uh, with that shoved up your butt. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was so traumatized, the kid, 
as a young kid at 11, he goes, I don't want anything to do with show business. And eventually his brother, Albert and others, as you'll see in the documentary, got him into writing and he started with the, he, he was on like cable access and, and killing it. And that's where um, the Smothers Brothers, uh, one of them saw him and said, I want you to be a writer on my show. And he paired him with Steve Martin and they did some of the funniest bits ever. There's this one, and I'll shut up. Liberace is playing on the Smothers Brothers show really fast. And this recurring character like Saturday Night Live, it's Bob Einstein, but done up as a cop. He rolls in on his motorcycle, does that long, slow, agonizing walk, not to the car, but the piano. Uh, which is an intimidation tactic anyway, is uh, I can't think of the name of the comedian who said that in the docu, but he goes, do you know how fast you were playing? And, and Liberace starts you know, getting all nervous. And then he finds a bottle of bourbon in the, in the piano. He calls him Liber Ace. He keeps calling him Liber Ace. Yes. And he goes, uh, where'd you get this? And he goes, oh, and Liberace's going, oh, I was uh, playing at a party. Somebody must have thrown that into my piano. And he goes, get up get up from the pedestal, you know, instead of get up out of the car and he arrests. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, just one of a zillion bits. I don't even recall that from the Smothers Brothers, which I, I didn't ever usually miss, but this docu is fantastic. And anytime, well, anybody outside of Evan, because Evan meant that with his heart, says it, uh, feed him that line. Uh, but I, you, know, I, you know who's actually died on stage? Um, Felipe Wynn from the Spinners, he collapsed on stage in his 40s. And Johnny Guitar Watson died on stage. When I say died, collapsed on stage, and you know, by the time they got to the hospital, they were dead or whatnot. But, uh, and of yeah. course, there was a time, uh, Mike, you and I were at the uh, Don Geronimo show, oh. and he fell off the stage while he was actually performing. They didn't have the lights there. Um, and I was uh, Mike's assistant cameraman, and, and they didn't have enough lighting at the end, taping at the edge of the stage. They're supposed to have that reflective tape so that you know where the edge of the stage is. And while a guy was performing, he, uh, you know, talking to the audience, he just walked off the edge of the stage and fell right on his head. From like a, a number of performers, uh, some older, uh, and uh, like some rock guys, like didn't David Lee Roth do that? Once he fell off the stage, and so the next night he's in a cast uh, with it on a stool. Um, you know, it, it, it must be hard sometimes to to see. When I've photographed uh, at concerts or, and stuff, comedy and, and music, and you're behind, you know, it looks like a, a dark, dark pit, the audience, sometimes because they're not lit. You are, but they're not. And um, it could be very easy to to do that and have it in tragically so what i've seen many times is at outdoor concerts because of the heat you know you have summer heat then you have the lights on stage i've seen people collapse actually get carried off of the stage if it's 100 degrees outside and you got the hot lights on you then it's 120 degrees and uh, some of these guys aren't kids anymore so uh you know Entertainment is rough. It's rough. Um, Weren't you at both the uh, either or the Simon and Garfunkel and Diana Ross in Central Park? Were you at one I was, of those? I, not, neither. I was at Elton John in Central Park. Oh, wow. Well, how was that? And what year was that? That was 1980. My father had just died. And I, and I go, I'm, I'm just going to go and, you know, get away and just, you know, not think about it's very devastating when a parent dies, as you both know, since it both 
since it happened to both of you recently. So I went to see Elton John in Central Park. I was by myself. I walked right up to the front of the stage. I was like first row. And wow. it was this legendary concert. And the guy was tremendous, tremendous life. That was Think the one how, very... much that, how much did you pay for those seats? I paid then? zero for those seats. That's free. It was free. It was free. And so he was, that was the one where he's wearing the Donald Duck outfit. It's legendary. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was and now his seats for his concert are going for how much? Uh, orchestra is over $2,000. And he, wow. can't sing. he can't sing like he used to. Uh, when I used to come out to New York and stay at John Arizzi's in the summer in West Babylon, Long Island, uh, it was so hot. I, you know, I had a fan on me. They were gracious enough to bring in a fan. It was, you know, how hot it can get in New York in the summers. Humid. August is hot and humid. That's that's when it was. It was the IWA at Roosevelt Stadium in the humidity and rain, but it was hot. So I'm playing uh, his uh, double album, which was like his Sergeant Pepper masterpiece. You know, to help me sleep every night. But I shot, I guess it was '74, the Dodger Stadium one, not as famous as the New York Donald Duck outfit. But he wore there a special outfit too. It was a sequin L.A. Dodgers baseball team because it was two nights at Dodger Stadium. I shot at both of them, and that guy's voice then you you can't look at Elton John now. He's shrunk. He looks like he's about half the size he used to be. The singing voice, it's like he's croaking it out, which he blames on all the years of drugs. That voice was impeccable. And he opens the show with Funeral for a Friend from uh, Goodbye Yellowbrick Road. Wasn't that the name of the double album? And he was so good for people that, you know, may not be fans of Elton John now. He was effing great back then. He did the whole album and other stuff. And uh, the Eagles and uh, Emmy Lou Harris opened. Uh, it was uh, magical. It was freaking great. Great. Elton John. Elton John was on Soul Train, and you yeah. could count the white performers on two hands. Um, they, they would bring on Tina Marie, Elton John, Hall and Oates, uh, Boz Skaggs. Gino Vanelli was on. Gino Vanelli, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they didn't have a lot of white performers. Casey and the Sunshine Band. Casey and the Sunshine Band, yeah. You know, so if you if you got the seal of approval to be on Soul Train, you were okay, because not a lot of white guys made it. So He was, and he sang live. He had no lip syncing for Elton John. He sang, I think, two songs, and he was great. Voice in full form. You know, he could tell he was maybe a little bit nervous. That wasn't his typical venue, but he had... A lot of uh, black American followers or black people around the world that, that loved them because, you know, his songs sort of transcended race and, and different genres of music. And, you know, it was happening stuff like Bowie was big, particularly. Yeah, as, Bowie know, was on Soul Train. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, but those. let's 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 talk a little bit, if we can, about wrestling. You All know, right. who died? Who died? Nobody no. died. Nobody died. But. The uh, alleged forbidden door, I just call it the open door. That was the biggest jaw dropper from Friday SmackDown was they announced in the course and WWE, the big joke is since they fired so many people, they got to bring in some of these old timers. It, it, nobody's missing Summer Rae. Maybe they're missing the Bella Twins and definitely Lita. I didn't. Nobody asked me if I was missing them. I, I would check mark uh, no on that. Right, on that but list. a talented 
woman who they trashed, I think it was March, April of last year, horrific 2021, by mailing her or FedExing her all of her belongings in the WWE locker room when they future endeavored her, were in a trash bag, a black trash bag. And she tweeted to Vince and got all kinds of support. You know, this was kind of a classless move. We've well, talked about it here on the show. The inside to uh, make peace with her, give her her flowers that she's long deserving of. That's wrestler's word for praise uh, for most likely she's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. So the Royal Rumble, she's going to be in it. And they announced her Friday by calling her the Impact Knockouts Champion. So the social media or the internet, what both Ray Dudley has told me, he calls the internet, in, internet wrestling community, IWC, went out of their effing minds with this because they have never done that before. Because they, they they've, never, they've never dated and, no, and they're still virgins. This is big news. Yes, and there's 36 full teeth among them if you spread them out that and much. They're, they're praying for that boob slip during the rumble. They're praying. Yes. Well, so Mickey James is being announced that way, and then people are going, well, does that mean you know, have a, do some talent trading, AEW or NWA or New Japan or MLW or Impact, you know, more? Could some male guys from Impact, you know, come back? We'll have to see. But the funny thing is, is everybody's saying, well, they got rid of so many people, like on their NXT show, they get, they're getting rid of all the great veterans, like uh, Roderick Strong and now... Um, Tomasa Ciampa, you know, the last of the fantastic. Well, Samoa Joe, too. Yeah, well, he hadn't, been on TV, he hadn't been on TV in over a year. Or Steve Regal, which is insane because he'd been with that company 26 years. And he has value. There's, you know, historian of British wrestling, fantastic trainer, PR whiz, all of these things besides the on-camera people would see. But that's why they're having to bring in AJ Styles and uh, Matt Riddle you know, to NXT because they got rid of all the veterans so they can just steal them from one of their other shows and have them come in to try to get that talent over that nobody cares about. And some of them are so green and the moves are so awkward. If I ever see, and I can do this visually on the way we're on now, when you see the wrestlers laying on the mat and someone's going to splash them, now the last couple of years is so obvious. They put their hands way up to catch it and kind of break that impact fall. Some of the other stuff like inching over, somebody's about to do the same move, but they're too far away. And you see the wrestler that's supposed to take that move, inch over closer and it's so obvious what they're doing. It's insulting. How about this last thing? And I primarily see it on WWE TV. The, the guy's going for a pin. So the guy on top the, on offense is making a pin, but before the three count, he'll push. You'll see his hands on the guy's butt or the female push on their butt and push them to break the pin, but they're the one that's trying to do the pin. So it's so obvious, you know, getting ready to yeah, to a cure. It is so effing annoying on WWE TV. So I hope this influx of WWE's talent roster cannot is nowhere near AEW's at this point. And so maybe that will help them if it goes to that. We don't know if it's a one-off with Mickey James just to maybe apologize to her. I hope it's more than that because WWE needs it. Their ratings are anemic, uh, especially for Raw. Even SmackDown's ratings are in the toilet. 
NXT's rating, ratings are going down, and nobody wants to see that. Everybody wants everyone to do well. WWE needs to get That's out. That's not of, true. I wasn't saying that everyone. They, but you want to see them get out of their scripted promos, their scripted matches, and be more AEW or Impact. Like AEW or Impact had terrific pay-per-view last night. Well, that's, yeah, I was going to I guess he's from Britain, who's not, he had all these hurdles in getting in. Something, um, Mike uh, Bailey, uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, that guy has to be seen to be believed. He is like uh, Flip Gordon in uh, Ring of Honor in New Japan, who I've photographed a bunch of times. Absolutely incredible. This guy's already on par with that, uh, the British uh, Will Ospreay. Oh, man, alive. Great talent. Great talent, and you need to see more of them. That's the first I'd ever seen of him on Impact, and I've been Googling and YouTubing, and whew, that guy is terrific. So that was an outstanding pay-per-view. Even without the inspiration tag match, they had to pull that because they had either tested positive for COVID or had been around people with COVID. So they had to yank that match against uh, the uh, the other female tag team. Um but other than that, it was uh, uh, the most stacked impact card I've ever seen since the TNA days. And even better. Than Danielson against Hangman. Great. Let's have some talk about that. Let's discuss that. Because that's, that's probably the match of right now, the 2020s. Wouldn't you agree? No. I thought that first match was better. Yeah, the first match was better. They didn't make use of the judges. Jerry Lynn, you know, they have the other two guys, Big Show and Mark Henry, stand up, you know, when they announce their name. But poor Jerry Lynn, who's equally as great a legend on some levels. And a better wrestler. Well, yeah. wouldn't that be right now, though? If he doesn't stand. No, there were problems with that match. Not bad. The bigger problem, and I'll shut up, is during, I think, the tag match. I'm, I'm unhappy seeing the Lucha Brothers not with straps on them. They are so incredible, as are... Uh, well, they had them. Yeah, the other Hispanic tag team, um, I forget what they were called in Impact, um, LAX. LAX. So incredible. They haven't even had the straps on them. But anyway, they did this spot. I think it was that match where all four guys are holding hands and then they get up on the top rope to do the John Dar Dargene, Don Jardine spoiler, Undertaker going old school. As they walk along the top of the rope stuff. Yeah. Scripted and fake that. I kind of had to give a slight thumbs down to the show as great as it was. And AEW is always must watch. That's the only show I don't fast forward through. Watch it every second of it, except for the commercials. Whereas SmackDown and Raw, fast forward only to the good points, which aren't any. Uh, the Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman stuff, great. Uh, you know, funny, but that, that doesn't make for five hours of TV. Let's have Evan's idea, thoughts on it. Yeah, on the Brian Danielson. He I, liked I watched. I watched, which is very unusual for me. Eight hours of wrestling this year. I watched the um, WWE pay per view January first, and um, I thought the New Day Usos match was very good. Not great, very good. But you know they've wrestled four hundred times already, and um, I thought the main event was good with Lesnar getting the belt. You know, very good, not great. So in that entire WWE pay-per-view, there was not one match I would consider great. Then everybody's raving about AEW, and the only match I thought was great was the uh, Danielson and Hangman match. I mean, there was nothing else on the show I would consider great. And 
I really need to say this. The commercials in AEW are oppressive. They're oppressive. They cut right into the middle of the match. Then they do the thing with the little screen. And you hear the commercials on the side. Liberty, 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 liberty. It's like, oh, my God. It's like I can't focus. Do what I, I do if I put on the mute button. Or, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of the matches on YouTube and avoiding some of that incredible commercial. Although YouTube has its own, you know, interruptions as well. But but I I, I don't I'm trying not to watch the televised program. I'm trying to just catch the individual. But, but by that point, you hear all the results. So that. So anyway, so then after you have that box within a box or whatever the whatever you call picture, it, picture, picture, picture and picture, I was close. So so then it it totally goes to commercials. It, the the match shuts down. It's a, there's a pizza commercial, and I, I, I'm like I'm like it takes me totally out of the match. And let me say this for the corporate apologist. You always have the corporate apologist. I was in Korea two years ago. My wife, like every other woman, takes two hours to get ready to go anywhere. Okay, she's got, she's got, she's got the creams and the powders, and it's, it's like. So I'm sitting there watching WWE TV, and I just want to say, in Korea, what they do is they'll have a shitload of commercials before the match, then they'll have a ton of commercials after the match. But they respect the match. They treat it like it's boxing. They treat it like it's football. They will not cut into the match. They'll have 10 commercials before, 10 commercials after. That's fine. You go get a sandwich. You go take a leak, whatever. But don't cut into the match. I mean, it's it, to me, it's disrespectful. And, or, or make the match shorter. Instead of having a 15-minute match. How about cutting out some of the promos? And yeah, well, funny segments. Yeah, don't yeah. open up a show with a Triple H twenty-minute promo. Ev, who else besides WWE has TV in Korea? Do you do you recall? Was uh, any other groups there? Anybody else's TV? They, they had New Japan. Run yep. commercials yeah, during that's the ring the entrances. That's the neighbor. I mean, ring entrances now are the new promos. I mean, you can have a guy take five, six minutes coming into the ring with, you know, all the, the hullabaloo that happens, you know, and, and, and so forth. So, so cut it, cut into that for a commercial. Exactly. I've never seen them run commercials doing that, but they always cut in when, you know, and then they don't even show you what you missed, you know, during the time of the commercial. I have a minor criticism out. with the AEW because I, I do love, love it because it feels like Georgia championship wrestling surprises People coming in, and I have to say, an even better match, as great as Hangman Page, the one-hour draw Broadway with uh, Brian Danielson. And that was a terrific match for today. And considering Brian's history and that Evan and I, particularly Evan, has seen him in matches with Nigel and probably Samoa Joe and all his ring of Morishima, all the Japanese guys. He wrestled everybody. Well, the... Um, Minoru Suzuki against Brian Danielson that I've been raving about. Did you see that, Ev? Because that, yeah, that was great. Out, out of this world, stiff as F. So I'm using the F word tonight. Stiff. I love that match, too. I mean, it, it was completely different than the Hangman page one. but uh, And th that certainly elevated, really brought Hangman page, who's never gone that long, to you know that upper echelon. And you could yeah. see it huffing and puffing 
even in last week's match. What uh, AWA does that's great is they make young stars. MJF is a star. Sammy Guevara is a star. Hangman Page is a star. Yeah. You know, in WWE, they, they, they sit them in catering and they fire them. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, that's the kiss of death because for three months now, they've been having those stupid little 20-second vignettes. Veer, coming to Raw. Well, every single week without fail. They didn't have one last Monday, so I'm sure we're going to hear this week he's been future endeavored. Maybe they veered off. They veered off the highway with him. <laughs> I like that. But you know what AEW does that uh, a lot of us have been saying um, is they make everybody important. Everyone is a star. Whereas I look at WWE last Friday night, and I'm trying my best to like you know their programming, but the uh, the former Ring of Honor New Japan weren't they called War Raiders? There was that their original name? Yeah, yeah. And now they're the Viking Raiders. They're jobbers. They're basically the 2023 version of the Bushwhackers because they're coming to the ring doing the chest pounding. And I'm, I'm going, oh, my God, is this awful. And then they job. How can you take a fantastic tag team like that of big guys doing junior heavyweight stuff? And they're just jobbing. They're comedic foil. So for all the maybe the few positive steps WWE takes, boom, right down to the toilet with Making these guys enhancement? Come on. These so guys. What, what, is, what is the story? They, they, they go, creative has nothing for you. Meanwhile, I read they have 20 writers and producers. 20. So how do you have nothing for anybody? There's few, if any, wrestling people left. I mean, uh, Malenko gone. Rotunda gone. All of these folks, Steve Regal, that would have creative input at least on the soap opera people they lovingly hire for whatever reason that have no knowledge of wrestling or whatever you want to call it. Because it isn't wrestling. It's sports entertainment. The AEW is wrestling. It's all written creatively by wrestlers. They don't have... You see the difference now. You are seeing... I tell you... Even if the matches aren't so, you know, terrific, there was a few mistakes in the uh, the uh, Ruby Soho uh, match. Little teeny things, you know, just a few of us would pick up. But still, it's worlds more entertaining and engaging on all levels and, than WWE's thing. I, I just, other than Brock, Brock has been fun. Haven's been fun. Uh, vying now, they're vying for the affections and attention of Paul Heyman between Reigns and Lesnar. Uh, but other than that thing, which has been the best story in all of American wrestling, you know, an ongoing story that'll have its payday, you know, once The Rock wrestles Roman, uh, which might be I might be covering that in Los Angeles at WrestleMania next year. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, there is. So, Ev, I hope, do you watch uh, the shows when they happen or TiVo, or are you watching like Rust? I, I, I only watch WWE pay-per-views. The, uh, the, the weekly TV, I realized in 2017 it was penance for sins I committed in previous lifetimes, and I fulfilled my penance, and, and my 2018 uh, New Year's resolution was to stop watching WWE TV. So I only watch the pay-per-views. And well, even that's painful. Even that's too much. Let me go over the TV and what you should be watching. So a bare minimum. Okay, so there's three hours of Raw, which is three hours of your life on Monday. No. Tuesday, NXT, I'm still watching, but 
now that Roderick Strong and Tommaso Ciampa are going, going, probably going to AEW where they belong, uh, which is going to be great for AEW, I, I may, like many, kind of foreclose or just fast forward through NXT. Wednesdays. I have a question. I have a question about NXT. Why Why are all the colors like my shirt that's like blinding? You know, I, because I, I see I see the commercials. Every everything it's like you're at a it's like you're at a Comic Con. There's well, like ten thousand colors. Yeah, well when Vince discovered that they lost the ratings war for that fiscal year against AEW on Wednesday nights and then moving to Tuesday where the ratings were still sadly anemic for a great product, they wanted to get away from the darkened arena and the dark black and gold of original it's NXT. Distracting. Yeah, so they have all this color. Exactly. All these crazy colors for NXT 2.0. They have Braun Breaker, who's the son of uh, Rick Steiner, come out last Wednesday, last Tuesday, kick and break the X, which signified the original gold X of black and gold NXT. All those superstars, the Shinsuke Nakamura's and the Japanese female wrestlers coming through there like Asuka. It's weird to see a brand compete against itself. Well, that was no, they gave it to Hunter and then Vince. That's took, what I'm saying, is that they're they're doing all this to themselves. They're shooting themselves no, in the foot. Just because that was not his idea originally. When we were told there was going to be that thing, it was supposed to be a farm system. And it's back to being Vince's original vision. It's exactly what he wanted. So sadly, every single employee, uh, you know, except for Triple H, has been excised and futured out of there. But let me let, get, me, let me say something quickly about that. <laughs> this guy, this guy has a net value of allegedly $150 million, Triple H. You know, if if they destroy your art, cut your legs out from under you, fire your friends, at some point, why not have the pride to walk away, do your own thing, retire, whatever the case may be? You know, I read, you know, maybe it's maybe it's just an internet rumor, but I read that him and Stephanie are on the actual committee that decides who stays and who goes. They're actually on the future endeavor committee. I mean, so he's getting rid of his his own protege. Well, that's that's the guy that Vince hired last year. This Nick Khan guy. Killer Khan, Killer Khan, the Hatchet Man. No, not Tony, but Nick Khan. Yeah, Nick I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who has a history of firing, going into this firing, anybody that Here's my He's got point. cold eyes, that man. He's the hatchet man. Thursday nights are going to be must-watch because the Impact show with all of these talents from other organizations coming in, they have the female Roxy, the female NXT or, uh, Ring of Honor women's champ, and Jonathan Gresham, the male Ring of Honor champ, coming in. They're going to be on the show this Thursday. But where, starting where do I first, see that show? I don't even know where to find it. It's on Access, A-X-S. I don't have that channel. Well, you can watch the stuff for free on the YouTube or on their website. But listen, after you can go right to Access website, access.com. After the two hours of impact on Thursdays, NX or New Japan finally returns. This is the, the goofy thing about them. They uh, were on for about two years uh, until three years ago on Access, New Japan show, best show, you know, then uh, of any of them. And then they were told, uh, that they they because the owners of Impact that Fight Network those folks Anthem they told them uh, in order to keep your slot you know we want you to do some talent trading with Impact and they said no they balked 
they lost their TV. They really lost their whole U.S. presence, and, you know, and this all happened at the start of COVID. So they lost a good two plus years of TV and money they could have been making if COVID hadn't happened, blah, blah, blah. So now they're back to square one. They have to agree to talent trade and they're a little more okay with that. And they're going to get their slot back. So they lost two years to make a point and they didn't make that point. They have to deal and trade talent with impact wrestling, which is fine now because impact has a much better roster. Uh, you know, with the Russell, could your wife possibly make any more noise in the background? Is it at all possible? Might be one of the Sorry. kids. Sorry there, guys. But so anyway, so that would be my night to watch. You got to watch AEW Mondays, excuse me, Wednesday, Friday. But now Impact Thursdays, two hours of Impact, followed by an hour of New Japan, which you know is going to be off the charts. Ring of Honor is still in reruns around the country. I have two channels here uh, that that, uh, are still running it on Saturday nights after a horrific championship wrestling from Hollywood, which it's sometimes better than others, but... Uh, I would definitely watch the Ring of Honor stuff. There's no comparison. Ring I'm of watching, Honor. I'm watching the uh, Criterion Channel, greatest movies of all time. They got like they got like over two thousand movies. It's like seven bucks a month. That's what everybody should be watching. So, what, what are some of the films? Tell us more about that. <laughs> Last night I watched the film On the Bowery from 1956. It, it was ahead of its time documentary. They actually go into the Bowery back when it was all winos sleeping on the street and they're the stars of the movie. I mean, it's really horrible. On the Bowery? On the Bowery. It it was considered really shocking in its day. And you see these guys brawling, getting getting robbed, you know, sleeping in the alley. Oh my God. They didn't have the, uh, that thing where they would have like punky teenagers go in and punch a wino, you know, sort of like, you heard about that thing? It was like uh, the MMA fights where they go and challenge drunk folks. Bum fights. Bum fights. Bum fights. Yeah. How demeaning and disgusting. Yeah. But, but this, this, you, you really, you, you really see who these people are, and you know, there's dignity there behind, you know, all the suffering, and the, it's quite a movie. And they said John Cassavetes and all the. Um, you know, indie filmmakers of the 50s were influenced by it. That was on the Criterion uh, channel. And is it with PBS or it's a streaming thing, right? It's a streaming. Criterion has the greatest movies ever made. They have like well, 2,500 in their own library. Well, I watched last night, I, I DVR'd it uh, on uh, Turner Classic, which is usually one of my favorites. Terror of Tiny Town. It's oh, a- yeah, yeah, yeah. Midget Western from 1950. And I think under the rainbow. Speaking of which, speaking of which, what do you guys think? They're talking about releasing Marco Stunt. I think they should have him wrestle Luchasaurus, do like a David versus Goliath thing, just like Rey Mysterio would wrestle Brock Lesnar. I I don't see why not. What do you think? I'm letting him go. He's the third, the mascot for. uh, They got Christian. That's the rumor, anyway. Yeah, Christian. Christian's their manager now, so they don't really need Marco Stone at all. Well, yeah, to be honest, he he didn't do much for me. Uh, you know, uh, my the, dream match is Rock, Marco Stone against Brock Lesnar, and also Nick Gage against Stephanie McMahon. Those are my two dream matches. I I, I would watch the latter, Stephanie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
There was a match there. How could you not be entertained by Nick Gage against Jericho last year on AEW? What a coup for Nick Gage. What a coup for Game Changer Wrestling, which is the most talked about, well, until last Friday's announcement. Really, they, they sold out Hammerstein Ballroom. Have you been to any of their shows ever? Watched? No, no, I haven't. I've been to Hammerstein Ballroom a million times with Ring of Honor, but I haven't. They, they announced the show. The tickets weren't cheap, and they didn't announce the lineup. So I'm like, hey, unless well, I know Jeff who's. Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett is, is on the card against someone. They have all of these guys. What's so, the main and, event? I forget. I don't know if it's the return of John Moxley, who already had a match with Nick Gage, because that's kind of where you know Moxley. You you watched him grow up in the the biz of way before he went to WWE. Yeah, Moxley and Eddie Kingston. They were always on Area Indies, Homicide. All these guys. That's I mean, what I was going to ask you because you brought to the attention of uh, a lot of people through Legends Radio, guys like Low Life Louis Ramos. Which one passed away? Was it him? No, no, no. He's he's still wrestling hardcore matches. Okay, there was another one uh, in, who came up with Homicide, Louis Ramos. Who was the other one? That, that promoter, Bobby Lombardi died. The promoter. But I thought there was one other guy. But was Eddie Kingston part of that the, the crew or, or no? Did they all come um, up? I don't remember. I don't remember him. as. It's possible. I mean, you're going back 20, 25 years now. But I, I remember him on a lot of Jersey Indies and... Uh, what did you think of him? Because he's so entertaining. He always had, he always had incredible charisma. Um, you're not going to mistake him for Billy Robinson, but you know he he had great charisma and a great talker. And oh, what a talker! Uh, he's one of my faves because you believe it. He uh, again, the times I talk with Bully Ray Dudley, where he's on his show Busted Open, he talks about this. There's not a phony word ever coming out of his mouth, and he doesn't he refuses scripts. So do extemporaneous, the best way to go. And it's really believable. He is awesome. I, I just think Eddie Kingston's great. One of the many tons of great pieces of talent. How can you, that's maybe why they got to let Marco Stunt go. There's just no airtime, even with the AW Dark and the other show that they have. Um, there, there's so many pieces of talent. And if some of those guys, WWE keeps releasing, come in there. You know, you know that Steve Regal's going to get an agent job, and deservedly so, in AEW, and, and perhaps some of the other folks. And you, you know, when is uh, Wyndham Rotundo? That's uh, Mike Rotunda's kid who was uh, the fiend. When is he coming into AEW? That's got to be any minute too. There's a lot of excitement. I hope so. Um, I'll tell you, I I watched AEW Doc. I lasted all of 27 minutes. I turned it off. It was just one two or three minute match after another. And at one point, there was this little tiny Hispanic wrestler. He was like three inches taller than a mini. And and Taz was actually laughing at him. Oh. And I, I don't think, I, one, I don't think that's right. And two, um, I'm watching that show and I don't know a lot of these guys. So I don't know who's supposed to win. But once you see the announcers laughing at the guy, you know these guys aren't going to win. No, they're supposed to educate. That's the point of the show. Talent that can't get on regular network TV. They have these, whatever, most of them are squash matches. But it's to elevate and educate the audience as to who these folks are. And, and some of them eventually become stars, like that kid whose brother is injured right now who's just killing it. Uh, I can't think of his name from Minnesota. He's the one who turned down Taz's group's offer. 
you know the one I'm talking about. He's a high flyer. He's fantastic. African-American kid. Anyway, he's terrific. He started on Dark and Elevation. Those are their two shows you can watch for free on YouTube. What's the deal, what's the deal with them making Hook like he's Brock Lesnar? The, the, guy's like, the guy's like five foot seven with a baby face. He is over. People that go to those shows say the crowd goes nuts even when they see his graphic, you know, for his upcoming match on TV in two days. They but go, I mean, they're, they're pushing him like he's Brock Lesnar. He's had three matches. But he's over. The crowd organically picked him, and they like him, and they're just letting the crowd do it. And it's a smart move for whatever reason. Particularly, the girls love this guy. Buddy, uh, buddy, buddy, Russell, Russell um, is very quiet today. I hope we're not going to be adding him to the uh, celebrity apocalypse list next week. But, hey, very quiet. Russell died doing what he enjoyed. Ev. That's right. <laughs> This podcast, oh no, that that would be. Now I'm just making sure that you know no uh, side noise is coming through. So oh, so you're the you're the uh, guest enforcer, like in well, I unless you want to hear all the kitchen noise in the background, I gotta shut off my mic. So oh, I see. Now I now I figured it out. I I thought I thought it was like the beginning of the uh, final illness. We should only be so lucky. It's a rough year so far. But the wrestling's been great, and the announcements just keep coming. You know, what will happen with the, uh, you know, more so with the open door? And uh, I'm going to do, do, do an impression of my, my apartment. I'll take a nap. I'll wake up. I turn on the uh, computer. I go, I, I go to Facebook or whatnot. I see somebody I really like died, and I go, fuck! And my wife comes running in. What happened? What happened? And I go, look who died. And my wife's from Korea. She has no idea who Bob Sackett is. She has no idea who any of them are. She has That's no what idea. I said when I saw that today on Bob Sackett. I said that same exact thing you did. It just, it just hit me, you know. And then there's some of these guys. They'll, they'll live forever. Some of the assholes. Where is, where, I'm not saying that it's a bad transition, but why has Jake Roberts not been on uh, the television lately? What, what is the problem there? Is there he does started he a podcast with uh, DDP. Maybe he's just busy. Wow. Wouldn't you want to be on TV? You know, and that, that guy he manages, he hasn't been on their TV in, in months either. Maybe, maybe that's the reason that they're not pushing his guy. Yeah. Yeah, I would utilize a legend if you have him. Like, I thought the perfect judges for that Danielson uh, cowboy match, cowboy shit match, would have been their veterans, Tully, Arn, and Jake Roberts. You know, have some veterans. That would be fun and a, a fun way to like, maybe use them in a different manner because they teased that a uh, sort of a breakup or argument between Arn and Tully never followed up on it. That's the problem. Only minor problem with AEW is there aren't, like, storylines there was a great one with mjf and jericho that lasted a long time but there needs to be more of that versus you know because right now wwe is killing it but only with the roman reigns Heyman, and brock storyline that's you know every week has a little nuance or a, a layer of the onion coming out i'll tell you the match they should have in AEW, and nobody's thought of it they should have phoenix against pentagon i saw that twice on indies in new york it was the greatest indie match I've seen in 25 years. It was so great. It was mostly Hispanic fans. They were throwing money in the ring. 
the ring was filled with dollar bills. I've That's never what they seen do in Mexico City. Yeah, yeah. For a match. They've always done that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Phoenix versus Pentagon. That'll blow away anything they got. It they was unbelievable. Impact, though. They had them fight in the Lucha Underground and then once or twice on Impact in three-way matches. With... They should give that 45 minutes or an hour. Trust me. Well, listen to this. They had Austin Aries versus Pentagon Jr. versus Phoenix on Impact uh, twice. You know, so you can't get better than those three guys. There's a guy, he's in NWA now, but I think when he mouthed off about Taya Valkyrie and Impact, you know, some comments that weren't really nice, he was like, you know, deleted. He, he didn't wasn't accused of doing anything against the female, but he was just deleted from wrestling. We didn't see that guy. This guy's one of the most talented wrestlers in years. Wasn't he fantastic? You know, yeah. no one, he yeah. is unique. When he runs the ropes and does that thing where he lifts off like a sprinter, Man, he's he's great. He should. I wish he was on TV more. I hope this open door. You know, he's in NWA, but no one's hardly seen him. Their TV, I should say, Billy Corgan's new NWA. They're back on free TV. You go to YouTube or all the other platforms. You don't have to pay to see them like people were doing for much of last year. Thank God they're because people will enjoy that studio wrestling feel. Trevor Murdoch is their. Uh, I need to get back to that. Yeah, I need to get back to that. It's it's great. I mean, Nick, all this fantastic. Uh, uh, we should do we should do an entire show on the fanboys bad list. I always find it interesting. They hate they hate Andrade. Uh, they hate Ryback. Uh, Flair's managed to get on their bad list. They have a whole list of people that they just load with every. What do they, uh, they not like about Andrade El Idolo? The they, they go. They go. Oh, he's just a mid carder. I go. I go. Unless they give him a shot at the top, how's he going to be anything else? The guy's great. He's a total. Go package. Look at him when he was La Sombra in CMLL EMLL Mexico with that's the man. Tremendous. Yeah. It was tremendous. He was fantastic then. So now he just needs. You need an avenue. You know, a, a canvas to paint your picture on. And they just need to do more. They had a nice feud with him and, and Cody, but it didn't last long. They hate Cody all of a sudden. What's that all about? That guy's great, too. Well, he's playing it up for what it's worth. Some of the shirts he comes down with, he has, it has one box for heel, one box for face, one box for, like, I don't give an F. Uh, and you know, so they've been kind of trumping that up, that he wants to be a tweener, not a heel, not a face. That's kind of more leading the audience as opposed to Hook, Taz's son, where they just let the audience judge and the audience loves this guy for whatever reason he is entertaining the matches are entertaining when he kicks he had a match against one of the bear country tag team guys about two three weeks ago his second ever match out of his three only matches and he kicked the shit out of this big huge giant guy it was a very entertaining match i i enjoy watching him but i mean i would rather see kenny omega come on Hey, how come there's like all these uh, old school wrestlers that people literally don't know if they're alive or dead? I need to know. I need to know if Joe Turco, Lee Wong, or Pinky Lawson are still alive. I need to know this because those are the guys I want to interview. Ben Ortiz and uh, uh, wasn't there a, uh, not Jan Madrid, but uh, there was a WWF jobber. Uh, uh, not Gypsy Joe Rosario, wasn't there? Wasn't he? Gypsy a Joe Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to know if these guys are alive. I'd love to interview them. Remember when we interviewed Mike Pappas? They have a documentary on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, well, there were a ton of great, tremendous. He wasn't quite. He was a little more than a jobber, you know, kind yeah, of like he was okay in some of the territories. Yeah. You got to interview these guys before they die. You we know. don't know if they're dead or alive. I, mean, I know that's why we got to interview them if we can. Yeah, hey we, guys, Johnny that's it for this week's show. So do you have any uh, thoughts you'd like to pass on for for the fans and what we should look forward to? Ask your wife if she can make some more noise before we wrap it up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. I, She's going to hate me. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and, he just teased it. He doesn't need it. Go and watch HBO documentary. I'm sure you can probably stream it for free. Super Bob Einstein. I know you will laugh. Larry David's all over it. Steve Martin's all over it. Where are you going to get those two guys? And a million other people. Uh, Carl Reiner before we lost him, his son Rob Reiner, just a million guys. Norman Lear, as I mentioned. Susie Essman, who I would love. Evan, I have not interviewed Susie Essman, unless Evan did it somewhere else. And I think we would have a blast with her. So if you ever watched her Curse to High Heaven on Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know we would have a blast with her. And, and Evan, any thoughts do you have or plugs you'd like to give? Yes, I'd like to do a very special kiss my ass to all the WWE corporate apologists who defend them no matter how ruthless they are, no matter who they lay off. You know, they did, they did the uh, all 82 wrestlers were not deserving of their spots. This, it's this, up to 91 now that they yeah, left. Yeah, yeah. None the of them, none of them were deserving. Okay. So they lost, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Bob Armstrong's kid, who was uh, Road Dog. Uh, they, they dropped him and Steve Regal, amongst other ones. The guy that managed Great Khali, who was a, a head writer, David something or other. He was a big writer behind the scenes. It wasn't just uh, Great Khali's Indian manager. Oh, I guess that means we, we got to stop the show. <laughs> I guess so. Yes, we have our. our it's our, like a death uh, rattle. It's a death rattle. Yeah, she's getting ready to strangle Russell. <laughs> yes. So anyway, guys, well, we'll we'll catch you all next week, and uh, thanks for doing the show. Good it, night, everybody. This is our weekly group therapy session. Group therapy here. Go Good night, everyone. Come. Back.